Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sixty-four. That's the nothing personal word of the day for episode six sixty of the non Samson sit down mailbag episodes. We're at six sixty on September thirteenth, two thousand twenty-two. It's a Tuesday, and you may be as exhausted as I am. There was a lot going on last night, and you couldn't watch just one. You had to watch both. You had to watch the Emmys, and you had to watch the Monday Night Football game. Thank God for picture in a picture, which I don't have. So it was back and forth on one device, on two devices, then switch devices to the big device, then pause, then watch after. Suffice it to say, my Emmy night did not end at 11 o'clock and the football game did not end at whatever time the football game ended. I wasn't paying attention to the time. 64 is the distance that Nathaniel Hackett's kicker, the new head coach, for the newly owned Denver Broncos with their newly minted quarterback, Russ Wilson, who had just minted a couple hundred million dollars, 245 to be exact, playing in Seattle where he went from an embryo to a superstar. So let's just go into the game knowing that you're seeing Joe Buck you're seeing Troy Aikman make their debuts. You've got the Manning cast going on, trying to figure out who in the hell Joel McHale is. You've got the Emmys, and you've got the game with so many storylines. The game is proceeding. I know I've got a pick of the day of Seattle plus six and a half. I'm feeling good. Geno Smith, a better quarterback than anybody else in the league. He's a top-tier number one quarterback. No question about it. Drives down, immediately scores up seven. That's the key when you're getting six and a half and you score first. You're like, holy smokes, I'm almost up two touchdowns already. Back and forth, tight game. The Broncos are the first team ever to turn the ball over twice at the one-yard line. Pete Carroll knows about that, like during a Super Bowl. So the game's going and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, pretty, pretty good about covering. I don't have it in the survivor pool or anything, so I don't need Seattle to win. I just need them to win by fewer than lose by under six and a half points. 
When the score is 17-16 and Denver has the ball at the end of the game, Russell Wilson has the ball in his hands, and I say this is amazing because they'll score a touchdown likely, and then they're going to win 23-17. But we had it at six and a half. They'll go for one, not two. That's why it'll be 23-17, not 24-17. Didn't need it. No need to go for two at the end of the game. So this is all happening. They keep showing the head coach of the Broncos. He's got the headphone on. He's got the hat. He doesn't look like Dan Reeves. doesn't look like the former coach of the Broncos. They don't show Rob Walton that many times. I can't figure out which one he is, to tell you the truth. And I'm just looking to see what an owner looks like during the first game. And every time there's a first game for an owner, I think about my first game as president. You never forget it. You never forget your first one. Now, Ironically enough, I do not remember my first victory, but I do remember my first game, which resulted in a loss, 7-3 to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Kevin Brown, damn it. In any case, that was back in 2000, if you want to Google to make sure I'm not lying to you, which I'm not. You can see Michael Barrett starting at third base, making an error, first inning. Anyway, you can check that out. So I'm watching, and I'm thinking Walton's going to get a win. Russell Wilson's composure has been tremendous comes out before the game to a sea of booze, which got me grumpy, might I add. You are a fan of a team, and you lose one of the players who has helped you win a championship. Maybe one Super Bowl, maybe two Super Bowls, maybe an NBA championship or a World Series, maybe just a pennant. And the free agent has left your team. Did the Atlanta Braves boo Freddie Freeman when he came back as a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers for choosing Los Angeles over Atlanta, notwithstanding all the other stuff that surrounded that signing? Did he know about the deal? Did he not know about the deal? Did Atlanta play chicken? Did they not play chicken? Was there a lawsuit against his agent? Yes. Did it win? No. Forget all that. From a fan standpoint, Freddie Freeman was the heartbeat of the Braves team and got a ring. A standing ovation, adulation galore, hugs and kisses, beers. Everything was great. Why is it not the same with Russ Wilson? What he did for that Seattle franchise, what he did for that Seattle community, you're talking about Seattle's favorite son. Did he act worse than Freddie Freeman? Yeah, demanding a trade and then talking after saying, I was almost traded in 2018, by the way, but wasn't. All the things that he did can chip away at his statue of I'll never be touched in Seattle again. That statue is when there's a legend in your town and there's a statue of that legend, like a statue outside the ballpark. What does that person have to do to all of a sudden become a someone getting booed, right? Think about that. Just think about your stadium. Think about any sort of retired number person or above that, someone who has a statue in front of their building. What do they have to do? I'd say the bar is so high that the world's greatest pole vaulter is unlikely to clear it. A recently active player who goes to another team just by choosing that they want more money or choosing that they have a family that wants to leave Seattle, or choosing whatever they're choosing, does that chip away enough to make you boo? Shame on you fans in Seattle. I think back to what I would do. When Patrick, my best example is a fan. There's the one example I can turn to. My guy was Patrick Ewing. 
Patrick Ewing did not win a championship for me. And he was the love of my sports life. When he came back after he was traded, to me, every time I saw him, it's an ovation. No matter what. And I don't mean the first time. I mean every time. And I didn't even get a ring from Patrick Ewing. When you get a ring from Wes Wilson, you don't boo him. So they've got the ball, and he's going to drive for the winning touchdown, the winning score at the end of the game to put a stake in the heart of Seattle fans to show them you booed me. Now I get victory, and I leave Seattle toot sweet after the game. Right back to SeaTac. I'm not sure I understand the clock management throughout the course of the drive. All of a sudden, we get to the point where we're toward the end of the game, fourth down and five. Clock's running. Timeouts are had, meaning they're in the pocket of Denver. And then the kicker comes on. And I was thinking to myself, well, what is the percentage of a fourth and five play? What is the percentage of a 64-yard field goal? And who is involved in the decision to go for a 64-yard field goal? It's up. It's got the accuracy. It looks like it's got the distant. Oh. No good. Would have been good from 60, not good from 64. Is that right, Coco? Do you think it would have been good from 60 and not 64? I've always had a hard time calculating that. Like when it goes way over the crossbar, hey, that would have been good from eight yards further deep. Well, maybe if the kicker knew he had to go eight yards further deep, it wouldn't have been so straight and so perfectly hit because he would have had to hit the ball harder. And maybe from 64, he banged it so hard, but from 60, he would have banged it less hard and it would have swayed or faded I never really understood that. If he only hadn't swung at the 1-1 pitch to make it 1-2, then he wouldn't have swung at the 1-2 slider in the dirt. Yeah, that's true. Having two strikes is different than having one strike. So I wonder whether that's the equivalent when you have a field goal that's 55 yards versus 64 yards, what it does and how it impacts the kicker. We'll have to ask a kicker. Immediately, the world comes tumbling down on Nathaniel Hackett. The owner comes down after the game and says to his coach, what, what, what happened here? And here's what I think the coach has to say. Uh, that was always our plan, just so you know. We've talked about a pregame, and we know exactly, exactly which side of the field, going which direction, what the outside range is for our kicker. Notwithstanding that the owner will see on Twitter that this kicker had missed and missed and missed and missed and missed and missed. Missed and missed and missed from field goals of 60 plus. Let's not even talk about that. But this particular game, what they do in football, like what they do in baseball, when we talk about certain matchups that we will not allow at the end of games, no matter what, third time through the lineup, no matter the score, no matter the lead, this reliever will not face that, re- that hitter no matter what. No matter what the score is, what the situation is, what the rule is about facing three batters, we don't care. There will not be this scenario. Football teams do that with field goal kickers. We will not try a field goal from 65 yards or more, no matter what, going east. You're down one with one second, we're doing a Hail Mary. In this case, they were down one with five seconds. They didn't do the fourth and five. They kicked the field goal. It did not work. The Broncos lost and people are angry. And I'm here to tell you that was not a Nathaniel Hackett freeze job. No matter what you all want to say, my God, first time coach, he froze. Didn't know what to do. Do you know how many people are there to assist the first year head coach? The same who are there to assist the second year head coach. You've got coordinators. 
You've got players. You've got general managers. You've got onus. You can communicate with your sideline. Trust me, just ask Jerry Jones. There's plenty of ways to communicate to your sideline during the course of a game. When you see the field goal kicker going on and you know that's the wrong play because you know in advance whether or not you're going to be going for a field goal from that distance, you make sure that field goal doesn't kick, especially when you've got a timeout left. So Nathaniel Hackett didn't freeze. This was predetermined that they were going to go from 64 before the drive even started. They can say what they want, but they're full of it. So I'm not angry with Nathaniel Hackett at all. I grant you, there's no doubt that there's evidence showing that NFL kickers from that distance are not going to hit the field goal. I get it. Don't give me the stats that, hey, from 63 yards, you know, they've only been two and they've missed 39 of them. There is something in the playbook. There is something in the team. There was something in the defense. There was something in whatever it is that caused them to make that decision and ultimately lose the game. One thing that Nathaniel Hackett did not do, however, is call a team huddle right before the play, get his defense together and say, hey, boys, what do you got? What do you got? Go for it on fourth and five or kick the field goal. Your choice. What do you got? I've never seen that happen until Sunday when I read that the new coach of the Giants, the brand new coach of the Giants, before he went for two, in that game against the Titans to take a 21-20 lead, and then the Titans came down and missed a 47-yard field goal, and the Giants won, and I was out of the CBS Survivor Pool. I'm not allowed to be in CBS Survivor Pools? Huh, interesting. It's not me. It's a different guy. It doesn't matter because I'm gone anyway. The coach, Brian Dabal, first game, first game, admitted that he went to the defense and said, hey, guys, what are your thoughts? Should we go for two or not? Are you okay with going for two? Brilliant coaching move, right? Get buy-in of the defense. Get defense and offense together. Make sure there's no division if you go for two and miss it. And then the defense says, we did our job. The offense just stinks. That's like a pitcher losing a game one to nothing. Dude, you couldn't score two runs? It can create some issues inside a clubhouse when there's a great pitching staff and bad offense. It can create issues in the locker room when it's a great offense, but the defense cannot stop any opposing offense and vice versa and vice versa. So a coach tries to get love, love together between offense and defense. And you know what I'm thinking as an executive? That's a big chance you're taking because we're telling you what you should be doing there because we discuss it pregame. End of the game, on the road, down one, go for two. That's a very easy scenario. That's not like, oh, let me think about it right now and make that decision. That is not the type of a decision that you give a coach to make at that time. That is a philosophical decision. That is a percentage decision. That is a front office involved decision. What about giving power to players? So what new managers and new coaches often do, they want to get into the good graces of veteran players. That's where they start. When you see a new coach being hired or a new manager being hired, one of the things you'll hear them talk about right from the beginning, yes, of course, I'm going to reach out to Russell Wilson, right? Or I'm going to reach out to Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley or somebody. 
going to reach out to my best players, my veteran players. I want buy-in the minute training camp starts, the minute spring training camp starts. Coaches always say, I had coaches say when we hire them in the offseason, I'm going to go visit all of the players. And I'm laughing. I'm like, no, you're not. What, are you going to go to the Dominican? And then you're going to do a tour in the U.S. from L.A. to New York? You're going to find out where they are? How come you never asked me where their off-season addresses are? Back in the day when we had an off-season address list, you had to have an off-season address list. You got to find your players. This is sort of before all players had burner phones. Then, then later in the career, you just say, hey, can I get your burner phone, please? Because they turn off their regular phone when the season ends. So I just smiled at what the coach of the Giants did, thinking how great it would be if they go undefeated this year because they're my second favorite team. But please don't be fooled. There was no defense telling him it was okay to go, and that's why he did it. You think if the defense had said, ah, you know, I don't think we should really do this, he would then call his GM and his owner after the game when they went for one and tied it or lost in overtime, and he'd say, listen, I, I know I was supposed to do that, but, man, my players, they weren't in. We were not a kumbaya collective unit. Such horse hockey. Oy. What else happened? Why is he reminding you, Coco, of Matt Harvey in the World Series? You can go on the air and talk about it if you want. You just want me to say what you're saying? Okay, Matt Harvey convinced Terry Collins to keep him in, and he imploded. He's saying in the 2015 World Series, when Matt Harvey was supposed to be taken out of the game, he wasn't taken out of the game. And in that case, the player convinced him. So maybe sometimes managers do do things that the players want and that the front office doesn't know about. It's not impossible, but it's damn unlikely. When you are a new coach and you're not winning games, one of the things that I encourage you to do, and this would be in my playbook for new managers, having had the experience of having managers and firing managers time and time again, the one thing that I would suggest is don't take the microphone after you lose to the Ravens and you've won like four times in your first 18 games or something and say that you're taking names and keeping receipts. And everybody who's mocking my team, I'm gonna wanna get back to you when we are the championship contenders who I know we're gonna be. Robert Saleh is the coach of the Jets. I'm just not following the theory there. I'm not following any of it. And as a president of that Jets team, I would have something to say to Robert. And Salug, it would be, is it Salug? Am I really pronouncing his name wrong? I always thought it was Soleil. Sorry. It is Soleil. That's what I said. Did I then then redo it? I don't want to have not saying Soleil. Okay, you want me to say, say it again? All right, start again. Ready? Four, six, nine. If I'm the head coach, right, of the Jets, Robert Salah, and I'm thinking to myself that uh, I'm keeping track, I have a team who stinks, I'm in great danger of being fired, and I go out and make fun of everybody who's making fun of me by telling you that I'm going to remember every name in the media and every fan who's mocking me, and I'm going to shove it up your keister once we're good. What are you doing? Just out of curiosity, when managers or coaches are talking to the media, sometimes they're talking to the players through the media. Sometimes they want to show that they've got the players back by talking to the media when they're really talking to the players. 
because you can walk into that clubhouse and say, I've got your back, man. Let's all make sure we stay together. We're going through a losing streak, but I've got you. And some of the players will roll their eyes and they'll say whatever and they'll pay attention to what the coach is saying in the media. So sometimes you have the coach go to the media and say something like, listen, this is a tight knit unit. It's sort of the opposite of what Danny Ainge did about the Utah Jazz, right? You don't do that. If you want to show that you're going to keep your players and that you're going to win with those players, with which Danny Ainge doesn't have to do. But when you go out, you try to be motivating because when you're talking to the media, you're really talking to your fans sometimes and to your players sometimes, rarely to both. It is rarely the same message from a front office person or a coach when they're talking to the media. You generally have two, two things. And you have to decide before you talk to the media, am I talking to the fans or am I talking to the players? In this case, there's no way he's talking to the fans. He's talking to his own players. Like, don't worry. I'm not panicked. You don't panic. We're all in this together and we're going to be fine. So there's another way to do it other than saying I'm keeping receipts. The other way to do it is to meet the media and say that was a tough loss in week one. And what I love to see from my players is that they left that game saying, not again. I am not going to feel that way again. I am not going to be as ineffective as I was defensively or offensively. I am going to make sure that we can hold down the fort until our quarterback comes back. Joe Flacco is taking it personally, what went on in that game, and we are going to be better in week two because we've got the right players right now to do it. That's a message to players after a tough week one loss, as opposed to, hey, I'm keeping receipts. When you run a team, you have to be thinking about what your front office, what your players are doing and saying at all time. How many times during this show do we talk about PR mistakes that teams make or players make or stupid things or arrests or crimes or various things that players do or people do and then what we should be doing as a front office when you abandon ship and cut the player, when you don't? how quickly you say what you're supposed to say, and then who says it. Every time there is someone meeting the media or a statement coming from a team, you got to pay attention to this, and we'll do it for you on nothing personal. There's a player for the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's the team that is in the process of being bought by A-Rod, if you believe that. It's a stepped purchase, and there's no proof that the second step has taken place. But in any case, A-Rod's been involved with Minnesota. Remember, he had those players for a big practice at his house, and he got fined and all the stuff A-Rod does. Like he really wants to live in Minnesota full-time and be active in the Minnesota Timberwolves. It makes me laugh. But in any case, they have a player called Anthony Edwards. I am scared to death of social media, and I work with someone named Matt Coca, who is much younger than I, much smarter than I, and I use him as my sensei when it comes to social media. How do you think of this post? Can I post this? Can I say this? Can I not say this? Sometimes I listen to him, sometimes I don't. There have been times where I thought something was funny and he would say, just so you know, David, no one else will think that's funny. And I'll say, well, I don't care, I do. And he'll say, then tell yourself. So we'll go back and forth, et cetera. One thing Coke has never had to do for me ever is comment on anything racial, misogynistic, homophobic. Because if you are not that way, then you're not that way on social media. Even when you're on Ambien. Now, on Ambien, you can do some funny stuff, right? It can be inappropriate. It can be a little wacky, right? 
it can even involve nudity sometimes. Like, who knows? But it doesn't make you into a homophobe, right? Anthony Edwards plays for the Timberwolves. He posted something on Instagram. And I, I need to tell you what it was. It was a homophobic slur. There were a group of men standing around. And he made a comment, look at those men. And he didn't use nice words to describe them. It made him homophobic. Maybe racist. They were black men, but certainly homophobic. He ended the post with, and this is important to hear, look at what the world done come to, bruh. Look at what the world done came to, bruh. Sorry, came, not come. <laughs> Funny. Look at what the world done came to, bruh. All right. Anthony Edwards posts that. The Minnesota Timberwolves and the rest of the world said, uh-oh, you better take that down and you better apologize. That is a homophobic slur that you used. Get the apology out. So then the apology came out. What I said was immature, hurtful, and disrespectful. And I'm incredibly sorry. Incredibly. Not part. How many times do I have to tell lawyers or PR people when you're writing a statement for a player, either sound like the player or never use the word incredibly sorry? Why not say partially sorry? I'm incredibly, unbelievably sorry. You have no idea how sorry I am that I had to take down that funny post, bruh. I'm incredibly sorry. It's unacceptable for me or anyone to use that language in such a hurtful way. There's no excuse for it, comma, at all, period. I was raised better than that, exclamation point. My God, that's a well-written statement. Not one grammatical error to be found. Look up what the world done came to, bruh. Turn into what I said was immature, hurtful, and disrespectful, and I'm incredibly sorry. He didn't write that. Are you okay with that? Doesn't bother you? It bothers me. Do you think it's weird that if we're writing a statement for a player that we make it sound like the player? When you had your parents or family or older sister help you in school, didn't you ever say to them, that doesn't sound like my voice? And the teacher would read it and say, who wrote that, son? That sounds like something you got off the internet. Well, they wouldn't say that in my case, but maybe in your case if you're younger. That sounds like something that would come from your parent. You get a D. That statement gets a D. It wasn't him apologizing. So the Timberwolves couldn't stop there, obviously, because when you have something like that happen and it's your player, you've got to do a statement, right? You have no choice. So the Timberwolves did release a statement from Tim Connolly, their president of basketball operations. The statement is not my point here. It was fine. I want to take a minute to give you insight into how decisions are made as to who releases statements. The PR department has a selection of people they're allowed to release statements from. If it's something in the marketing department, then the VP of marketing may be on the statement if the owner allows it or the president allows it. If it's something regarding a trade, then the PR department knows it goes to the president of baseball operations and to the president of the team, and they decide who wants to make the announcement of the trade. Is it a money dump? Then it's going to be the GM. If it's a signing of a player, then it's going to be the owner or the president. So good news comes from on top. Bad news comes from the middle. 
No news comes from PR people themselves. So they made a purposeful decision, the Timberwolves, and I don't, don't come to me with what their rate is for inclusion and how diverse they are and how important it is to A-Rod that there's diversity, equity, and inclusion. When they did a statement like this about what Anthony Edwards did is Anthony Edwards is one of their best players. They had the statement come from Tim Connolly, the president of basketball ops, because that lowers the volume of the issue. If that statement comes from Glenn Taylor or A-Rod, which it wouldn't, all of a sudden people read that same statement from the Wolves and say, wow, that's not great what Anthony Edwards did. That rose to the level of having ownership involvement. Why didn't this rise to that level? Any suggestions? Does anyone know? If I had a player do that, say what Anthony Edwards said, that rises to ownership level immediately or president level immediately. This is not a basketball or baseball issue. I need to make it very clear that it's not my baseball operations department who finds this unacceptable. It is my organization. It is me. It is my family. It is the fans of this team. It's everybody. Period. We come back. I'm not reviewing a movie today, and I'm not reviewing a TV show. But you can bet your bippy we're talking Emmys. And don't go away, because I've got a few comments about the Emmys that will make you smile. And then we're going to take you deep inside the clinching clubhouse for the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. I love award shows. You can mock me all you want. You can call me middle-aged, white, do it. I don't care. I love it. I love to see shows, content. I love to see people rewarded. I love the writing categories. I love the directing categories. I love the screenplay categories. I love the technical categories. I love them all. That's why at the end of a movie or TV show, I watch every credit because I am incredibly thankful to the hundreds of people who do something so I can sit on my bum and smile for two and a half hours, for eight hours, for 12 hours, for whatever the case may be. They work themselves to the bone so I can be entertained, so I can cry, so I can laugh, so I can feel. And I am searching to feel at all times, searching for a connection at all times. So I'm watching the Emmys. Out comes Kenan Thompson, does a dance number to start. It wasn't as bad as Rob Lowe and the Oscars. Google it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I didn't get it, wasn't great. I'm like, where's the comedy? Isn't he gonna be go full Ricky Gervais? Isn't he gonna do a little stand up? He's Kenan. 
Then they do the first award and there's still no stand-up. Michael Keaton got the first award from Oprah Winfrey. All right, I get what we're doing. There's no, there's people sitting at tables. They're trying to recreate the Golden Globes without it being the Golden Globes. They've got alcohol. They've got people partying. People are having fun. They have stars. You look for where they're sitting. Everyone looks for what they're wearing. I get it. I'm in. I'm in with the whole thing. Michael Keaton gets up and wins for Dope Sick. Here's how we're going to do this Emmy review. When I mention a show, I'm going to tell you really fast that I've reviewed it and whether you should watch it. Dope sick. Yes and yes. Michael Keaton gets up and gives a very funny speech, and it was the first of the many bleeps of the day. I guess it's cool now to swear on live television because they think it's just streaming on Peacock, but in fact, it was also on NBC, so you had to have a beep. The question is, was it bleeped on Peacock too or only on broadcast TV? I wasn't watching Peacock because I'm 54. So the question is, which is it? If, in fact, it's only bleeped on NBC, I'll never watch it again. If it's bleeped both places, why bother? And if you know you're going to be bleeped, why swear? Because really only talking to the 200 people in the room? What about the millions of us watching who want to know what the heck was said? Remember the whole Will Smith thing and Chris Rock? So much of it was bleeped. You didn't hear what was going on. So you had to run to Twitter to get the clean tape, the dirty feed. So Michael Keaton wins, and I'm watching. It's good. And here are the other top five things to take place at last night's Emmy Awards. Number five, Stifler's mom won an Emmy. Either you know or you don't know. Number four, Mike White is a superpower Survivor alum. The creator of The White Lotus won an Emmy for writing, directing, and White Lotus won best limited series. Stifler's mom won, and the guy, oh, come on, Coca. I want to say Michael Barrett. I'm so sorry I don't know your first name, and I should because you're not an overnight sensation, and you were the manager of the hotel in the White Lotus. You won, too. The White Lotus was huge. Mike White was like Steven Spielberg or James Cameron. He kept coming up. He got director first, then writing them best show, and his middle acceptance speech was a highlight when he talked about Survivor and how his hope now that he has a target on his back as being a real threat in the community of writing, directing, and creating, that he's not voted off the island. And he didn't mean the Survivor Island. He meant, don't vote me off the letting me participate in these projects, island. Keep funding my projects, island. I'm so happy for Mike White. He's in our Survivor family. He did better than I did. Still, we both lost but that was very cool. Number three, Jason Sudeikis wins back-to-back for Ted Lasso. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Ted Lasso wins best comedy series. Not an upset. Two years in a row, repeat winner. That means their second season was as good and widely acclaimed and appreciated as the first season. Doesn't happen often. Check it out. Number two, Succession survives. Matthew McFadden won with an English accent. I love when people don't know what accents. Paul Michael Hauser, Paul Walter Hauser, the guy who was in Blackbird with Tara Edgerton, they came out and presented an award. And it's funny, he made a comment like, I don't get how all these people come out with English accents. 
when in fact they don't have English accents. It's pretty cool. So that series, Succession, won again. Directing, writing, best show, best drama is Succession. We've reviewed every season. Watch it. It is amazing. And the number one moment for me of the Emmys was the success of Zendaya, who for a show called Euphoria, she won her second best actress. She's the youngest to have two best drama Emmys, best actress in a drama Emmys. She's, she's a kid basically. And her acceptance speech was based on her character, who is a very difficult character in Euphoria. And she said, listen, I've heard from people who are like my character. I've heard from people who have to deal with people who are like my character. I take that with me, she said. It was the most emotional moment, maybe the second most emotional moment. The woman who won from Abbott Elementary sang a, a, an incredible song when she won um, Supporting Actress in a comedy, Abbott Elementary. And I was just thinking that there are people who know what they're doing when they get awards and there are people who don't. And you can sort of tell who's who. And it's not that Zendaya was prepared, it's that she had given thought, right? She had, didn't pull out a piece of paper. She had just given thought. The Emmys were pretty good. The last thing I wanna mention about the Emmys is something that's getting a bit of attention this morning. The In Memoriam segment is a very strange thing to me. It happens at the Oscars, it happens at the Emmys, it happens at the Tomies, the Tonys. They go back and give you a list of everyone who's died. It started with Betty White. How many of you watch the In Memoriam segment and say, my God, I forgot he died? It really got me thinking last night. Because what you do is in that segment is you relive the death. I had forgotten that James Conn died. I relived it. Believe it or not, I forgot for a moment that Ray Liotta died. I even had forgotten Betty White had died this year. Sometimes you think people have died earlier. Sometimes you had not heard of the death. Like Burt Metcalf, I didn't recall passing away. He was the creator of my favorite show of all time, MASH. And then I see his name on the In Memoriam and it crushes me. So I'm reliving death, which I don't like doing in the first place. Then I'm mourning for the first time. And then I'm thinking about my own mortality. Then I'm thinking of what it happens like John Madden, right? You live your life, then you're one minute on the cube during the in memoriam while John Legend's singing a song. And then it's on to the next year. <sighs> life is short, folks. Live your life. Live your life. Wait to see when we tell you something's going to happen. And we revisit it. Coco, we got two new listeners. I got way more than that last month. But I got two. So thank you for all the, those who are new to Nothing Personal and spreading the word. We are on episode 660. In the feed, you'll see that we have more episodes in that feed because we do special episodes. We do sit downs once in a while. Mail get, mailbag episodes are when you send me questions that I'll answer. But this is the general show, 660 times. We review something, although we normally review a movie or TV show, not an award show, except when there's an award show. We'll give you a pick of the day. We do that as well. And we do something called Wait to See. Wait to See is when we tell you something's going to happen. But on this show, we do it differently. And you are noticing, Coco, we did it. We came up with this. So we revisit our Wait to Sees. 
no matter what. We keep track of them. And when they happen, they happen. When they don't, they don't. But either way, you're going to hear again. Way back in April, on April 21st of 2022, we told you, wait to see. Next year in baseball, there'll be a pitch clock and a ban on the defensive shift. Guess what? Back in April 21st, we knew it way before the competition committee had even met. Hmm, how would I have known that? Inside info? Doesn't matter. That's a yes. Sorry to the four members on that committee who didn't have a say. Back on September 2nd, just earlier this month, I was very clear that I told you Lamar Jackson will get his contract done before 9-11. Guess what? He didn't. We did a segment on a yesterday's show. That's a no on the wait to see. Then a couple days ago on September 7th, we had a wait to see. Zach Gallen is a pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. We talked about his scoreless inning streak. We talked about where he was in history. And I said his next start, he will give up a run by the fourth inning. I am waiting now for a live, and you know we do this live, all the mistakes, everything we do, you're getting it right now. Coca, I need a gladiator-like thumbs up or thumbs down on this wait to see. Because I said Zach Gallon will give up a run by the fourth inning of his next start. Zach Gallon gave up three runs in the fourth inning of his next start. Does by the fourth inning mean he had to give him up in the first three innings? Or does by the fourth inning mean that he had to give up the runs by the end of the fourth inning? In which case, that's what he did. In which case, that's a yes on the wait to see tally. And the reason I need to know is that we keep track. So Coca, this is your call. Are you giving me the thumbs up or the thumbs down on the by the fourth inning? Ladies and gentlemen, and whatever it is you are, Matthew Coca has left the building. Matthew, explain to me how you're doing this. I, what do you want me to say? Oh, <laughs> I win. That's a yes. Here's what Coca just did to settle this. He went back and listened to my exact verbiage. I said Zach Gallon gives up a run in the first four innings of his next start. He then put it on the chart as by the fourth inning. So I thought I said by the fourth inning, and I think that that can be interpreted several ways. But what I actually said was, thank you, Coca, you solved it. Zach Gallon gives up a run in the first four innings of next start. Guess what? That's a yes. He did give up a run in the first four innings of his next start. All right. I got two wait to sees for you. One we were supposed to give you yesterday, and we didn't, and I don't know what happened yesterday. We did a segment on the Dallas Cowboys, how terribly disappointed Jerry Jones was. Then there's a video that came out today or yesterday of Jerry Jones walking to the clubhouse after the game, looking despondent beyond repair. Dak Prescott's now out six to eight weeks. They're probably not trading for Jimmy G. They're going with Cooper Cup, whoever they're going with. Probably not the wide receiver for the Rams, but hey, you never know. Mike McCarthy's been on every hot list. Here's a wait to see. Mike McCarthy, you were on thin ice when the season started. Injuries or no injuries be damned. Guess what? You're getting fired during the season. Wait to see. My second wait to see involves a game that you should be watching right now, tonight. 
Mike Trout has hit in seven straight games a home run. That's seven straight. Do you know what the record is? Eight straight. Do you know that I got to talk to the man who has that record? A lot. Don Mattingly, the coach for now of the Miami Marlins. Since 2016, my dad. He's the longest running coach in Marlins history, come to think of it, manager. Um, Mattingly hit eight straight games with a home run, I think, in 1987. Mike Trout will not hit a home run in game eight. It is such a mental thing. Hitting home runs in seven straight, don't get me wrong, it is insanely difficult, if not impossible. Very rare. But when you get one up against it, like let's say there's a free throw streak of 99 in a row and you hit your first 98. For whatever reason, that 99th free throw, it's just harder. When you've gone 10 for 10 from three-point land and the record for the game is 11 for 11 and you have it in your head, that 11th one, you could sphincter it. Everybody in baseball knows that it is an eight-game streak. That is tying a record that people view as untouchable. It leads to mind tricks. Wait to see. Mike Trout in his next game when he plays will not hit that home run. But don't let it fool you that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are two of the best players on the worst team of all time. It's worth checking out. Nothing. Personal pick of the day. I read that 89% of you took the Broncos. Are the 11, are the other, bleh, four, six, nine. I read that 89% of the people took the Broncos giving six and a half to the Seahawks on the road. And I'm wondering whether the other 11% are nothing personal fans. I'm just curious. It's not impossible. We had the Seahawks plus six and a half. That was an absolute win and a quick win at that. I'm doing pretty well in football. I think we're two and one. We had the Buffalo game right. We had the Cowboy game wrong. And now we've got the Seahawks game right. Two and one early in the season after a Thursday, Sunday, Monday. We're 103 and 80 because we won that, but we lost the Braves. There was a Braves game last night while you were sleeping, while I wasn't sleeping. The Braves lost to the Giants, had an opportunity to gain a game on the Mets who lost to the Cubs. And what was noteworthy about that game was what happened with the Giants. The Giants have a manager named Gabe Kapler, totally fine, got run out of Philadelphia, lost control of his clubhouse, couldn't deal with players. Maybe he's learned something. He had a player show him up on the mound. Go watch the tape of this. It's pretty interesting. When a manager goes to take the ball from a player, if you Trevor Bauer the ball and throw it into the stands, you're off the team. If you yell at your manager, you are going to get in big trouble. Big, I assure you. The San Francisco Giants pitcher had some words with Gabe Kapler, walked off the mound, and Gabe Kapler made the pitching change, went back to the dugout, and instead of making a public spectacle, went down into the tunnel into the clubhouse where they had it out. We told our players and our staff, do not do anything in front of the camera. If we want to leak out later what happened, if teammates want to leak out what happened, we'll think about that. But don't have us lose control of our own narrative. When you've got fights in the dugout like Lou Pinella or in the clubhouse like Lou Pinella or doing things, whatever you're doing, in full view, what the, what's the result? No control. 
I like control. So I want to compliment Gabe Kapler for taking that argument. And I assure you, there will be ramifications because when you are running a team and running a clubhouse, you cannot show up your coach, even if you're Kevin Durant. Tonight, we've got a game, another Cubs-Mets game. The Mets are coming off a loss, and they've got DeGrom. That's the end of it. You, you understand, right? You take DeGrom? Nope. You take the guy with your name. Samson. It's the name of my cat, Junebug. A let it ride reference. The number's too high. Take the Cubs money line over the Mets. Samson over DeGrom. Sorry, Coca. That's the show. And guess what? We're going to do it again tomorrow. Will you be with us? Wait to see. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.